Shall we just pray before we begin? Father, I just thank you for the air of expectation in this meeting. And we thank you that expectation is met, hallelujah, and faith is met. And Father, I just know that there are going to be many people touched tonight, and they're going to be set free, Father, of things that may have dogged them for a very long time. Father, we're not just believing for those who are here, we're believing for those who couldn't make it tonight as well. We're asking you tonight that your spirit is going to leave this place and is going to move upon them in their need. Father, in whatever area that they have a need, that they will find their needs met in Jesus tonight. Hallelujah. And Father, we just pray that as the word of God goes forth, that indeed you will move upon people. Father, we thank you so much that Jesus is here in the midst of his people. He's moving between the chairs. And Father, we're believing that people are going to be healed where they're seated. Father, before the end of this meeting, there are going to be people healed in this place. And Father, we do release your healing power even tonight. Oh, hallelujah, Lord. Father, I thank you for the joy that's welling up within my heart at just the prospect of sharing these wonderful things from the word of truth. Father, we delight in your word with all our hearts, and we just ask you to come and manifest yourself. In the name of Jesus, we would ask it. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Now, I would remind you at the very beginning of this evening that we're not just talking tonight about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The subject is moving in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So it's not going to be a theological analysis of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but rather teaching on how we, every one of us, can begin entering in to the manifestation of these gifts that God has so bountifully poured upon us. Now, last time, I spent the whole session dealing with tongues, interpretation, and prophecy. And before we get onto the subject tonight, I just want to deal with a little bit of feedback that I had after the meeting. You know, feedback is very useful because people come up and they ask all sorts of questions. And sometimes I say, oh, I really should have dealt with that. And I didn't deal with it. And so a few people came up and asked some questions. So I want to just, for the sake of completeness, deal with the feedback that I've had before moving on to the remaining six gifts of the Holy Spirit. By the way, wasn't it wonderful last time to see people doing things that they'd never done before? It was lovely. There are many people who can now speak in tongues, who couldn't speak with tongues before. People who were a little bit fluent, who are now so voluble or, you know, so talkative in tongues that they can't stop. Uh, there are many, many people who prophesy for the first time, who interpreted for the first time, who gave a vision, a message in tongues. Now, in case you are a bit kicking yourself just a bit, you know, because you knew you should have done it last time, but you didn't, don't you worry. Or as the Americans say, don't fret none. Because uh, the next session is going to be specifically on the subject of prophecy, and after that, we're going to move out again all right, this is just warning. You know we always lock the doors at the back for these sessions. This is just warning before people actually gather together. Now, some of the feedback that I've had. One person came up to me and said, look, Roger, uh, I was converted a little time ago. Uh, I've never been prayed for for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but I can speak in tongues. Now, I'm confused. He said, am I baptized in the Holy Spirit or am I not? Can I just say to you, if you're in that situation, that I'm finding that in these days God is moving so fast that the majority of people get converted and filled with the Holy Spirit in one caboodle. Lovely. Now, others need prayer and they need some ministry for the reasons as I outlined last time, but many are just being 
baptized in the Holy Spirit immediately. And very often they don't know what's happened to them. And it's only when then they start speaking with tongues, they say, well, hold on, what is this? And they find that indeed God has done the work. Now, if you're in that situation, that's wonderful. May I suggest to you that if you are speaking with tongues and you're one of these people, make sure you get into a little group sometime to all pray together so that the people there can just use their discernment concerning your tongue and then you'll know it's all right. Because sometimes the devil will counterfeit. I've, I've only known one case of it in my whole career, but occasionally it happens and it's nice to know that other people are enjoying the blessing that comes from your tongue. All right? So just get together with a little group sometime and all speak in tongues together. Perhaps ask them and say, by the way, do you witness my tongue? And you'll find that most people say, oh, well, that's lovely, perfect, praise God. Uh, I just mentioned that to, to cover any person who finds himself in difficulty like that. But if you're one of those, God has just done the whole thing in one session and praise his name for that. Two other bits of feedback that I had, and these concern passages in the Word of God. One person came up and said, I find a passage in 1 Corinthians 14 very difficult. So I wonder whether we could turn to it. I have actually hinted at the solution of this problem in my tape, which is called What Really Happened at Pentecost. But the problem they'd spotted is one that many Christians have not spotted. Unfortunately, I had. And that concerns a slight problem in 1 Corinthians 14, where Paul seems to contradict himself within a space of about three verses. I don't know whether you've ever read this through. This is difficult. This is why you'll find many Pentecostal pastors will never try and do a verse-by-verse study of 1 Corinthians 14 because they find this bit too difficult. And you think of the number of times you've ever heard a verse-by-verse study in order done of 1 Corinthians 14, and you'll know that I'm right. Very few ever attempt it. And the reason, well, is verse 21, 22, 23, 24, and 25. Can I just read it through? You'll see the problem. In the law it is written, With men of other tongues and other lips will I speak unto this people, and yet for all that they will not hear me, saith the Lord. Verse 22. Wherefore tongues are for a sign not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. In other words, tongues are a sign for unbelievers. But prophesying serveth not for them which believe not, but for them which believe. So prophecy is for believers. Now having said that, tongues is for unbelievers, prophecy is for believers, he then contradicts it in the next verse. For he goes on to say, If therefore the whole church be come together into one place, and all speak with tongues, and there come in those that are unlearned or unbelievers, will they not say that you are mad? Now isn't that strange? And the next verse, But if all prophesy, and there come in one that believeth not, or one unlearned, he's convinced of all, he's judged of all, and thus are the secrets of his heart made manifest, and so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is in you of a truth. Now do you see the problem there? One verse says tongues is for unbelievers, prophecy for believers. In the next verse he says unbelievers will never understand tongues. And then he says, but prophesying they will understand. Now he's completely contradicted himself. Now, it's quite easy, actually. The key of it is found in verse 21, where he quotes from Deuteronomy 28, 49. Look it up for yourself. Although, actually, the quotation is from Isaiah 28. It says the same thing in those two verses. Look at this. In the law it is written, with men of other tongues and other lips will I speak to this people, and yet for all that they will not hear me, saith the Lord. And here is a passage in the Old Testament that warns that the Jews, if they continue in unbelief, 
we'll soon hear the gospel preached, not in the flowing tones of Hebrew, but we'll hear it in the staccato tones of Gentile languages. Now, that was going to be a major sign to them that they were in unbelief. And you remember what happened on the day of Pentecost? That's why the gift of tongues was given. And all these Jews, remembering Isaiah 28, suddenly said, Heavens, it's come upon us. We're in unbelief. That was what it was designed for. So in the Old Testament, tongues was for the unbeliever to warn him of his unbelief. But in the Old Testament, prophesying was for believers. It was the believers who listened to the prophets and took prophesying. Now the point Paul's making is this, that things have changed in the New Testament. In the New Testament, it's the other way around. Now, tongues is not for the unbeliever. I mean, if a chap comes in and he hears all of us speaking in tongues, he'll say, well, they're off their heads, you see. Occasionally, a person is so convicted by tongues, they're converted, but it's a rarity, you see. Now, tongues is definitely for a believer. We build ourselves up, don't we, when we speak in tongues. I dealt with this last time. Now, prophesying is much more for an unbeliever. And it's so lovely, because often you get unbelievers in the meetings, and a prophecy is given, and an unbeliever will come up afterwards and say, how did that chap know that about me? And what's happened? God has revealed the secrets of his heart. Do you see? Now, all Paul is trying to do, in a very clever way, is to say, look, you all know what tongues and prophecy was in the Old Testament. Here's what it is now. And the roles are reversed. Now, if that's still unclear to you, listen to my tape, what really happened at Pentecost, and that will make it a little clearer. Right, the third bit of uh, feedback I had concerned the verses a little lower down in 1 Corinthians 14. Again, I've dealt with these on my tape, Should Women Wear Hats in Church? It's lovely to be able to refer people to these tapes, but you know the, the problem people have in verse 27. If any man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two, or at most by three, and that by cause, and let one interpret. And then further on, verse 29, let the prophet speak two or three, and let the other judge. And then verse 31, for you may all prophesy one by one. And you know, don't you, that you occasionally go into a meeting, and there's someone who's a bit legalistic about that, and they're busy counting. Right, that's one message in tongues, that's one prophecy. Right, uh, two messages two prophecies, right? Three messages in tongues, three prophecies, and then they cut out, right? And they sit there, and sometimes they look all supine and uh, self-righteous, you know? Sort of that type of look on their face, as if to say, well, this is obviously out of the spirit. And they sit there wondering whether they're going to leave, and sometimes they actually get up and leave. And if you ask them why, well, my Bible says there should only be two or three messages in tongues, and only two or three prophecies, and we have five or six, and that means you're out. And off they go, you see. They're all full of self-righteousness and all the rest. Now, that's not what Paul is saying in this passage. He is dealing with people who were so interested in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, they were having hundreds of tongues, hundreds of prophecies, all at the same time. And what he says is this, if you're going to give a message in tongues, let it be two or three at a time then have the interpretation to think about it. Then you can have another two or three, but do it in batches, similarly with prophecy. Don't just have 89 prophecies, one after the other. You'll never be able to take them in. If you're going to have several prophecies, have two or three at a time, then stop and think over what is said by the Lord before charging on to the next uh, batch of prophecies. All right? But you can actually all speak with tongues. You can actually all prophesy one by one. All right, now that's very quickly dealing with that feedback. All right, let's go then to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and remind ourselves of the list 
of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And remember in verse 7 that these gifts are for everyone. God wants us to manifest the gifts. In verse 7, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. And then he lists the gifts. And do you remember last time we divided these gifts up into three main groups? There are three gifts we call the verbal gifts. Three we call the inspirational gifts. And three we call the gifts of power. So let's read it through. Here we go. For to one, verse 8, is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom. To another, the word of knowledge by the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, the gifts of healing by the Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, diverse kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh that one and the selfsame Spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. And so we divided these nine gifts up into three main groups, the verbal gifts, tongues, interpretation, and prophecy. We've dealt with those. Now we come on to the next two categories. First of all, the inspirational gifts, which are a word of knowledge, a word of wisdom, discerning of spirits. We'll deal with those first. Then the power gifts, which are the gifts of healing, miracles, and now, last time I made the point that the first three are the most important. Certainly, we have much more control over the first three. If I want to speak in tongues, I can speak with tongues. I can also reach out for an interpretation and reach out for a prophecy to be able to prophesy. And God very often will come, you just desire those gifts and you will receive them. You have some control over those. In the next two categories, there is far less control. God and God alone is controlling those. And can I just give a word of warning here? If you know people who use, say, the inspirational gifts, and they call them the gifts, and they seem to be messing about with them, be very careful. You know the type of person who seems to know everything about everyone for no purpose. If you meet one of those, beware the likelihood is they do not have the Spirit of God within them, but they have a spirit of divination or some form of occultic spirit within them that is giving them the information. Because always when the, the gifts of the Spirit are manifested, God is blessed and God is manifested and the people being ministered to are blessed. There is a holiness about it, a sanctity about these particular gifts. To show you exactly what I mean, keep your finger in the place here because we'll probably be back anyway. And go to James... And chapter 3, verse 17. Now, this is the rule where you are talking about, for example, the inspirational gifts. Here's the rule you must follow. Verse 17. And this applies to the inspirational gifts, certainly, and to the others. It says here, But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy, and the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. And it should be that when these gifts are manifested, there is always fruit coming in the end. The fruit may not come immediately, but there should be fruit following them. Now occasionally you meet someone who seems to know this, that, and the other, and there's no purpose in it. That is not of the Lord. It really isn't. There should be a purpose. When I started moving in these gifts, when I was at university, people were converted and people were filled with the Spirit and people were healed. There should be some form of follow-up to the manifestation of these particular inspirational gifts. 
All right, so let's take the inspirational gifts first of all. And let's start with the first one. Let's correct it first of all. Uh, it doesn't say the word of knowledge. It says a word of knowledge. And basically what this is talking about is this. God who is omniscient, who knows everything, gives you one little section of what he knows as a little treasure. And you suddenly know something that you didn't know before, and you can use that to minister to someone else. Or it opens up a situation for you uh, to understand or to be useful in. Can I ask for a show of hands here, if you regularly move out in a word of knowledge, once or twice a month, say, could you just put your hands up if you receive that? Now, that's not too many. Now, I have to tell you something, that actually, those of you who haven't put your hand up, you're wrong, actually. Do you know that a word of knowledge is very frequently given to people? The trouble is, again, these gifts are put on such a high level that people don't think that they are receiving them. And I found this, because they are put on such a pedestal, people don't think they're receiving them, and the more they don't think they're receiving them, well, the more they don't manifest these gifts, you see? In fact, I'll tell you this, most of you receive a word of knowledge fairly frequently. For example, how many of you have ever been working away at the sink, or working away at the factory, or wherever, and you suddenly get a burden for someone? Oh, someone's really laid on your heart, oh, I've got to pray for them. I really must pray for them. You may not tell them, but if you do tell them, sometimes they say, oh, well, praise God you were praying. What time was that? 3.30. That was exactly the time I was in the dentist chair, or wherever they were. <laughs> Sorry about that, Patrick, if you're here. But that's exactly the time. Or I had an interview with John. Oh, praise the Lord you were praying at that time, you know. And you find that it was exactly right. How many of you have done that or received that regularly? You're receiving a word of knowledge. Isn't that staggering? It's so simple but we've made it something beyond our reach. That's a word of knowledge. Or how many people, I wonder, have ever woken up one Sunday morning and suddenly thought, oh, it's going to be a wonderful meeting this morning. I just know it is. Well, how do you know it is? Well, God's told you that it is. He's already been at the meeting, right? <laughs> been there for thousands of years, actually. If you don't know what I'm talking about, listen to my tape on omniscience. <laughs> but he's, he's enjoyed that meeting already, and he just wants to give you a little love gift, and he just says, you're going to be so blessed this morning. Right? And it pops into your heart. What's that? It's a word of knowledge. How do you know it? Well, it's because God's told you it. That's a word of knowledge. Hands up if you've ever had that experience. Well, this is quite amazing, isn't it? We're manifesting the gifts of the Spirit already. Or sometimes you wake up and you think, oh, it's going to be a difficult meeting. Lord, I've got to pray about this one. You get on your knees and you, you pray. And it was a difficult meeting, but because you prayed, everything went right. Praise the Lord. Or sometimes you arrive at a Tuesday evening meeting and the Lord's given you the word holiness and lo and behold, the whole meeting is on the subject of holiness. We are receiving it. Now, hands up now if you regularly receive a word of knowledge. Would you put your hands up? Now, isn't that wonderful? Now, once you start confessing that, then you're open to actually believing that you're receiving from God. And once you start believing you're receiving, you start receiving more. So now, let's stop that negative confession. Oh, I never receive a word of knowledge. You're receiving it all the time. And you know, if you will acknowledge that, you'll find that God will speak to you much more than he's ever done up to this time. I can give you all sorts of little examples. I've made big errors concerning this particular gift. One was about a year ago. My wife had gone out to a prayer meeting, and I was left to babysit. And it was a lovely evening, so I thought, well, I'll just clear up the garden for a few minutes. Now, it's against the law, as you know, to leave 
your premises if you've got young children in the house. But I thought, well, the garden, it's only the garden. And so I just cleared up the garden. And I was just beginning when suddenly I knew that it was the Lord. The Lord said to me, David's woken up. Oh, okay. And I just carried, I put it out of my head, just carried on. Quarter of an hour later, I went into the house. There was a screaming youngster sitting on the top stair. And I rushed upstairs and said, what's the matter? Where were you, Daddy? Now, he never wakes up. On this occasion, he'd woken up. And he'd woken up. He'd called Mummy. No answer. Daddy, no answer. He'd gone down the stairs. No one there. I was in the garden clearing up. And the chap had become frantic. He was sitting on the top stair, bawling his eyes out, you see. Now, the Lord warned me. But I didn't know what to do with it. I put it out of my mind. In fact, what I should have done was say, thank you, Lord, David's woken up and just gone in to see him. Do you see? We've got to realize that these little thoughts are very often a word of knowledge from the Lord. And only when we start acknowledging it can we start moving out in uh, this particular gift. Incidentally, just a week after that, can I just tell you this? I was in the bank somewhere, I was away traveling, and I parked my car on a very small road and managed to just get it in. It was on the corner. I just managed to put my car across the corner, you know, and it was perfectly legal and all the rest. And I was standing in the bank, and suddenly the Lord said to me, the car's in trouble. Instantly, I left the queue, went up, and there was a huge juggernaut heading straight down this very narrow street, and he definitely would have been stuck by my car. And I was able to just run on ahead and say, it's my car, and I got in, drove past, let him through, and I drove back into the space. Now, that happens to us all the time. But the trouble with us is we don't acknowledge that it's as simple as that, and because we don't acknowledge that it's as simple as that, we run into problems, all right? So there is quite simply the gift of a word of knowledge. Of course, the way most people think of this is in the grandiose healing meeting, where people receive a word of knowledge, a word of knowledge, and so on. And I'll be coming back to that in just a few minutes. All right, now with that covered, let's go on to the second inspirational gift, and let's go on to wisdom, right? Wisdom. Now, what is wisdom? Well, normally we define wisdom like this. We say that wisdom is the correct use of knowledge. Don't we say that? Well, I think we do. Uh, if someone knows something and they use that knowledge in a particular way to benefit themselves, you say, there's a wise man or a wise woman. A word of wisdom, however, isn't quite as simple as that and can actually be used in many, many forms. Can we just go to the Gospel of Luke? And let's have a look at uh, one of the ways that it can be used. The Gospel of Luke and chapter 21 verse 14 and verse 15. And this is really for a time of persecution, but can I say that we need it at other times as well. Verse 14 and verse 15. Settle it therefore in your hearts, not to meditate before what you shall answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom, which all your adversaries shall not be able to gainsay nor resist. Now isn't that lovely? This, by the way, must not be used as an excuse for not preparing your talks. Do you know, I've heard so many ministers say, well, I never prepare my talks, you know. No, I just get up on the platform and uh, I claim this particular verse and off you go. And do you know, you can always tell the ministers who do that because they're, they're full of platitudes. You know, it's platitudinous all the time. They're boring. It goes on the same old way. You've heard it all before. And they say, I never prepare my talks. And you say, oh, that's why it's so awful. And so on. That's not an excuse for that. In fact, a man who is a Bible teacher and someone who is ex expounding 
to other people must make sure they are men soaked in the word and diligent in the word of God. No, no, no. This is for the occasion where you're suddenly put into a corner, right? You've got to give an answer. Now, a couple of years ago, I was in this situation. Someone in the fellowship, bless them, who's here tonight, arranged for me to have a debate with an atheist on radio, right? And this chap was an out-and-out atheist, and I must say my heart sagged a bit when I thought that I've got to do this. And it was a short program, just a fill-in sort of section. Was it half an hour? I think it was half an hour's debate. The trouble was, he and I were in this studio, and he was in charge. When he raised his hand, I had to stop talking. I thought, never will the tapes do that to me. Every time he raised his hand, I had to stop talking. So I thought, well, Lord, what do I do? And the Lord said, you just answer the questions as they come. And the first question, which lasted about, thank you, about uh, two minutes, he's holding up a poster saying stop, which I refuse. Um, the first question which he asked lasted about two minutes, I think, and dealt with the first nine chapters of Genesis, and I have one minute to answer. I mean, I gave him some form of answer. I've forgotten what I said now, but it seemed to cover it. Anyway, I was then started picking up, and we were getting on famously. You know, I was able to answer the, his questions, and I thought, well, this is a real winner. We're really winning through. But this chap was lulling me into a false sense of security. And there I was. I was getting really nonchalant now, really launched out. And uh, we'd been through several questions, and I'd answered them and so on. They were fairly difficult, but I could handle them, and we were all right. <laughs> And now we will come to the climax of the interview. Right now, this was it. This is the last question. I didn't know that. And this will be the one that everyone will be left thinking about. He said, Roger Price, he said. Kept saying that right the way through. Most disarming. Roger Price, he said. And he turned to a passage of the Bible. First time he'd opened his Bible. He said, um, this particular passage tells the people of Israel to go and kill all the soldiers and all the men and all the women, and all the children, and all the cattle, and all the sheep, and burn the whole city with fire. He said, Roger Price, is that your God? <laughs> now that was it. Everything else would be nice, you know, about creation, and about the Bible, and so on. And suddenly, that's it. Now, this was a direct assault. I just had time to say, Lord, help me. And I said, and these words came out of my mouth. I said, yes, that's my God, I said. A God of love, a God of patience, a God of long-suffering, but also a God of wrath. And I said, you just have to read in the Old Testament. He loves and he forgives, but suddenly his wrath comes upon the people. I said, listen, that's why we're so urgent about the gospel. Because in our land now, we have taken his love and his forgiveness for granted. And if you think God will wait forever, you are mistaken, for his judgment will come. And that's why we've got to preach the good news. This nation must turn back to God. There was total silence. I couldn't get over it. <laughs> total silence. And his last words were, Roger Price, thank you, and good night. <laughs> and that was it. Well, and I staggered out of the room, and I thought, what did I say then? But I knew we got it in at the end. Now, that was God, you see. If he told me what he was going to say, what could I have said? You know, I would have probably said, well, um, actually, in the Old Testament... They were taking the land, and there was a curse upon Canaan, you see. And this curse came because of... And it would have been too intricate, you see. No, no, no. But waiting upon God, suddenly the answer's there. Now, that's wisdom. You may need it from time to time. And don't back out of these situations. Don't try and say, oh, well, no, he's not really like that, because you'll be in a terrible mess. No, hit it straight on and get him between the eyes, and you're fine. God will give you the rest. 
Well, that's one way that it's used. Can we just turn over and see another in verse 21? In verse 21, Jesus is talking about the destruction of Jerusalem, and here is his instruction to the believers. Then, he says, when you see the armies around Jerusalem, then let them which are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let them which are in the midst of it depart out, and let not them that are in the countries enter there into. Now, he was telling them this. Most people, when the army hit the land, would head in to the fortified city of Jerusalem. You aren't to do that. No. When you see armies moving in, pack your bags and move out. Do the opposite of what you think you ought to do. And do you know, it's because of this that very, very few believers indeed were killed uh, whenever Israel was invaded. They always believed the word of the Lord and they escaped. And this is why in the tribulation, as you know, uh, there will be believers in Moab, Edom, and Ammon, right, described in Isaiah 63 and other passages and, and Daniel. Uh, and they will escape the judgment because they listen to the word of the Lord and do it. Now, that's a word of wisdom. And by the way, often you will receive this. I have heard of people who've tried to sell their houses, for example, and they've been with a certain estate agent, and they've asked someone to pray with them, and then someone has suddenly said, hold on, the Lord's given me the name of an estate agent. And they put it with that estate agent, and within a week, it's gone. Now, that's a word of wisdom that's given to them. I've had to use a word of wisdom very frequently. I mean, you'd be amazed if you knew how often I do it. Can I quote the example that's rather close to home? We had a certain couple, who are actually part of the fellowship now, who are homegrown. I mean, they're from Bogner itself. But they were living up-country. And they'd been trying to sell their house. The Lord, I think, had told them to come home. And uh, he tried to look for jobs. No job was forthcoming. They tried to sell their house, no house was forthcoming, no buyer at all. And they were just stuck. And after several years, they came to see me and said, Rog, we really believe we should come home, and yet nothing will happen. And what is this? And we discussed it. Are they here tonight, that couple? Should we just put your, or one of them? No, they're not. Oh, well, I'll ask them why afterwards. But uh, <laughs> uh, they actually came to see me, and uh, we began to pray. And the Lord just said, they're too old in me to act like that. And I said, the Lord's told me that uh, you're acting as if you're young Christians. Older Christians don't act like that. And they said, well, how do they act? And I said, well, the Lord's told me that you are to resign your job, uh, put your house on the market and move down here anyway, even though you've got nowhere to come. And I said this, you'll have a job and before Christmas you'll have your own house. And they said, are you sure? <laughs> they have four children or something. And I said, yes, I'm sure about that. So they did it. And you know, within a few days of moving down here, the job had come. And three days before Christmas, I think it was something like three days before Christmas, they were actually installed in their own house. And the Lord absolutely confirmed the word. Now that's a word of wisdom. By the way, make sure it's a word of wisdom and not wishful thinking. All right? It really has to be a word from the Lord. And by the way, you always know afterwards, don't you? Because it's come to pass. That was absolutely from the Lord. So just check it through. You may not receive a word of wisdom for every occasion, but be more open to receiving a word of wisdom and you'll find that they'll come. The next one is discerning of spirits. This is the third in the inspirational gifts, the discerning of spirits. Now beware, there is such a thing as natural discernment. And many people have it. Many people, you know, are able to sum people up and they know what they're like. 
There is one character in Agatha Christie books, forgive me for mentioning Agatha Christie, won't you? But there's a certain character called Miss Marple, not Hercule Poirot, but Miss Marple. And she deals with a certain case that's going on, you know, and then all of a sudden she says, ah, Horace Adams. And you say, Horace Adams? Yes, Horace Adams. And then it turns out she knew a lad once called Horace Adams, and this is what he did, and this is how it turned out, and this chap reminds her of Horace Adams, so she knows he did it. Do you see? Now that's natural discernment. I mean, that doesn't recommend the books very much, does it? <laughs> but she's always doing that, and it's always, ah, Gracie Fields, or some other name that comes to her mind, and it reminds her of the character type. Now, some people are very good at doing this. They look at a certain person, ah, I know the type. Right? And so they try and work it out. Now that's natural discernment, and that can be very wrong. It can. Most people do this, you know. Whenever I go and speak at university groups for the first time, we always have to play a bit with one another. It always happens, every time. Once they know me, it's easy then. But what happens is, you know, the university students are all there, and they're busy chatting with one another, and the speaker's brought in, and he is wheeled down these stairs to the front, and everyone sort of gazes at him and keeps on talking like that. And from the look on their face, they're saying, we thought it was going to be a decent speaker tonight. And they watch you go to the front, you see. Now, some speakers immediately think they sum me up and they don't like me. And they sit there. Come on, amuse us and teach us something. There they are, you see. And, and some speakers immediately, well, this is natural discernment, you see. And they've discerned I'm not really up to much. And do you know, I'm really not up to much. And before long, they say, I'm terribly sorry I'm your speaker tonight, and I'll try and get it over with as soon as possible. If you'd like to go, please go now. And they're sort of apologizing. On the other hand, some speakers go into some groups, you know, and look at them, and they think, oh, heavens, I'm wasting my time tonight. Look, and you can be wrong. Uh, if ever a university group does that with me, I always think, right, now, come on. And within the first five minutes, I crack the nut, you know, until we get to the kernel of the thing. And an experienced speaker is able to do that. You can tell if they're summing you up in the natural, discerning what you're like. That is not the gift of discerning of spirits. It's not. And those of you who've got natural discernment, beware. You've got to discern the new man, not the old. I know the old shows often, but there's a new man in there somewhere. And that's the thing you've got to discern. No, the discerning of spirits is a, a wonderful gift. You may be sitting with someone, you may be ministering to someone, and suddenly the Lord reveals something to you about them, rather like a word of knowledge. He, for example, he might say, this particular person is being troubled by an evil spirit, for example. That's one very good use of this. And uh, they didn't know that they were being troubled by this, perhaps, but suddenly the Lord has revealed to you that they are. And you say it to them, do you know, I feel that there is such and such affecting you. And very often they'll say, do you know, I think that might be right. And suddenly there's a look of recognition over their face. They may not have a demon inside, but they may be troubled by a demon. Well, the Lord will reveal it through that. So, first of all, it's the discerning of an evil spirit, but sometimes it's the discerning of their human spirit as well. You're with someone... And as they're speaking to you, suddenly the Lord says, it's not true what they're saying. It's not true. It's not true. They're lying. Oh, that the Lord will give us this more often. Or it's only half the story. Or something like that. And suddenly, you're able to say to them, now hold on a minute. That's not the whole truth, is it? And you can tell from their reaction whether it really was. Now this gift is very useful at times. You see, at certain crucial times. Beware 
again, lest it's the product of a rather overactive imagination. And if the person says, no, that's not right, take it at face value, right? If, certainly if they're a mature person, and use it to correct yourself, right, rather than correcting them. I'll be dealing with that in just a moment. But that's the discerning of spirits. By the way, you can use this with your children. Now, your little boy has just done something wrong, and you say, did you do that? No, Daddy. And he looks as if a Caledon bowls a cream-lined toffee wouldn't melt in his mouth, right? No, Daddy. And there you are. So you turn to your daughter. Did you do it? No, Daddy. Who did? He, she did. And they point to one another. Well, who did? Did you do it? No, you did it, didn't you? No, no, she did. You did. No, 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 I didn't. He did it. <laughs> now, what do you do in that time? Well, have you asked the Lord to show you? Because if you have, very often the Lord will show you exactly what's happened. Then you're able to say, now, you did it. The Lord just told me, you did it. Yes, Daddy. <laughs> and you'll find that the chap then collapses. Feel free to use that type of discernment. Praise the Lord. This is theory at the moment, right? <laughs> but it's a wonderful reassurance when you know what the truth is. And by the way, I have found, certainly with our children, that once you have located the truth, yes, it is so. You know, they do say, yes, de yes, it was. Yes, definitely. And the lovely thing is, if you can then uh, back that up with certain disciplinary principles, they will always tell the truth, right? And my little daughter is very fond of quoting God's law. Isn't it wonderful that our children know God's law, right? They get it wrong occasionally, of course. My little boy says you will have no idols but God. <laughs> uh, that's, that's his favorite, as if God is an idol. And, uh, and he thinks it's terrible, you know. He also knows you mustn't make any marks on your skin. And he keeps saying, Daddy, he's got a tattoo, that man. Will he go to hell, Daddy? You know, and you have to explain, well, we must pray for him that he believes on the Lord Jesus. My little daughter knows the law of God's one of her favorite passages, you will obey your mummy and your daddy. <laughs> That's her favorite bit. And then she adds, and you will not lie. And then I have to say, yes, but you've got to be a doer of the word, not a hearer only. You will obey your mummy and your daddy. <laughs> it's easy to do. Discernment is a wonderful gift. We should use it. We should ask God for it much more, you know, in our sort of daily dealings, especially if we're uh, in ministry. And I would suggest to you all that you do do that, because the truth often comes out. All right, now there are the three basic gifts. The question is, how do we move in these? Well, I've got two things to say on moving in these particular inspirational gifts. The first is this. May I remind you what I said last time? And that is that a thought that constantly comes to your head a feeling or a vision that comes to you may very well be a word of knowledge, a word of wisdom, or a discerning of spirits. And you shouldn't just cast these things out. It might be so. Certainly in healing, this is often the case, isn't it? You'll get a vision of an ear, and God is trying to say, there's someone here with problems in, a, in their ear, right? Or you may have a, a sensation of a heart. You get the general impression that there's someone with heart trouble, that is actually God giving you a word of knowledge, and he wants to move out on that particular word of knowledge. And sometimes you have to be really tested. Now, many of you know that since last October, uh, everywhere I've been, people have been healed, and the Lord's given me wonderful words of knowledge. But sometimes I've really had to move out. One time I had a vision of a sort of bone bow tie, and I didn't know what it was. And I thought, I've never seen such an odd bone. And if ever I think of an odd bone, I assume it's the ear, you see. My wife wasn't there to give me advice. 
And I said, I've got this vision of a bone that looks a bit like a bow tie. And it's inflamed. And I said, there can't be anyone here with a bone bow tie, can there? <laughs> and this chap jumped up. He said, oh, praise the Lord. He said, it's me. And he rushed forward and so on. And I expected him to be wearing but he wasn't wearing it. <laughs> and I said, well, I'll pray for you. And I said, but before I pray, where is it? <laughs> I was about to say, is it your ear? He said, it's the shin bone, he said. He said, you know, I've been to so many meetings asking God to reveal to someone that I need. I've got osteomyelitis, he said. Is, is that the right disease? Yes. In my shin bone. And he lifted up his trouser leg, you know, and, and he said, I've had it for 40 years. And I've been asking God for a word of knowledge about this for 15. He said, at last it's come tonight. Hallelujah. And that was wonderful. Another time I was in Anglesey and I got a vision of a bit of, well, it wasn't quite rope and it wasn't quite thread. It was halfway between the two and it formed a little bend like that. And I said, look, I've got this vision of a little piece of rope or thread and it's some part of the body and it's inflamed. No one moved. Every other word of knowledge people have responded to, no one moved at all. And afterwards in the kitchen, there was a woman crying her eyes out. She said, that bit of thread, it was me. She said, soon she said it, it was me. I've been in agony all day. It's an inflamed fallopian tube. She said, I knew it was me. And she said, no, I've missed it. And I said, you haven't missed it at all. And we were able to pray at that particular time. All right, now that is the, the sort of thing that happens. And, but the second thing I want to say is this, that concerning these gifts, you've got to be willing to make a mistake. Now, can I say that? If you are not prepared to make a mistake, you will never actually learn to effectively move in these things. Because none of us is perfect, you see. We hear from God, but we hear an awful lot from ourselves. You can either hear from God, or from the devil, or from yourself, and the chances are it's not the devil. He's far too busy to deal with small fry like you. Um, the, the problem mainly is oneself, you know, an overactive imagination. You've got to be prepared to make mistakes. All right, now learn from the mistakes. Don't give up because of the mistakes. And when I first moved in the Word of Knowledge, which was when I was at university, every morning I used to say, Lord, today, show me who you want me to go and see, show me who you want me to go and speak to, and I want to receive it from you. Now, what happened was this, that I would begin moving out, and I'd be wrong most of the time. So suddenly I feel, oh, I must go and see Beth Palmer. Oh, I really feel I must. I feel I've got the Word of the Lord for her. I must go and pray for her. And I'd rush down to where she lived, knock on the door. She'd gone home for the weekend. Now, what happened? Was she out of the spirit? No, probably not, because God could have easily said she's gone home for the weekend. Um, I was wrong. Now, what did I do? I didn't say, oh, well, that's, I give up on the gifts of the spirit. They don't work. Yes, they do work. But then I learned to discern what was my voice and what was the voice of the Lord. Oh, I did that so many times, I can't tell you. Go and see this person, they're out. This person, they're out. This person, they're out. Then I had my first major success, and it was worth it all. I'll tell you about that, right, because I don't want you to think it's all negative. And one day I had someone over for tea, you know, and I felt really agitated. Oh, I must go and see a friend of mine who lived in the hall of residence across the way. That morning I'd been in this hall of residence. And as I'd been crossing over the quadrangle of this hall of residence, a chap had been chatting to a friend of mine, and I'd stopped to chat, and this chap turned out to be an atheist. Well, of course, it developed into a discussion about Christianity, and uh, he finally disagreed, and it became actually quite verbally violent, you know. I mean, the voices went up in tone. And finally, he said, I'm not interested, and so on. And he turned his back, and he walked away. And uh, I never learned what his name was. I didn't know where he lived. I knew nothing about him at all. And I went back to my hall of residence. Now, in the afternoon, I felt I should go and see a friend of mine who lived in that hall of residence. And I went over, knocked on his door, no one in. Done it again. 
Oh boy, you know, this is number 50 and it's wrong again. Well, Lord, keep teaching me and I'm still going to do it anyway. And I walked across the quadrangle and I looked up and in a window I saw my friend's forehead. Now, he had a very distinctive forehead, right? <laughs> very. He was very young, but it was very lined, you know, loads of lines. He'd had a lot of worry, I think, but it was really creased up for such a young chap. It was unmistakable. And there was the forehead just above the window on the third floor up. You know, I, I didn't think of how it got there, but there it was. <laughs> and so I thought, well, what's he doing up there, you see? And I counted up the number of floors and the number of windows along, and I went in, up the stairs, counted the number of doors, knocked on the door. A voice said, come in. I opened the door and walked into the room of the atheist I'd been discussing the gospel with in the morning. And the chap just gazed at me like this, and he sat down. He said, I don't believe this. And I said, what don't you believe? And he said this, he said, do you know, he said, quarter of an hour ago. I said, God, if you exist, you bring that chap over to see me. <laughs> he doesn't know my name, right? Doesn't know my name, doesn't know where I live. You bring him up, up to my room, <laughs> like that. Now the chap was converted on the spot, <laughs> right? By the way, he was no blessing to the Christians in the hall. He used to get up at 6.30 every morning for a prayer meeting, every single morning. And uh, he used to take them a cup of tea to get them up. <laughs> they didn't like him very much. Now, however, now can you see, you make mistakes, yes, be willing to make mistakes. There's enough love to cover it, you see. But as you begin moving out, suddenly you'll find it's right. And then you'll say, now, Lord, I heard your voice that time. Good. And you'll begin to hear the voice of the Lord more often. I've made mistakes quite recently. I remember in one Tuesday evening meeting sitting there, and the Lord said, there's someone here with a bandaged foot, and you must pray for them. So what did I do? I didn't just stand up and say, who's the person with the bandage for it? I'll pray for you. I started looking around. <laughs> who's the person with the bandage for it? There was no one with a bandage foot. And everyone, you know, jogged about, and I thought, it's no one. And so I didn't give a word out about it. And you know, at the end of the meeting, the pianist got up and hobbled out. <laughs> Terrible. Now, that's a mistake, you see. It's no good. Oh, duh, I'm not going to stop on the negative. Let me tell you some more positives. Now, I've had some wonderful examples where it's been absolutely accurate. I was ministering to one lady, and I kept getting a, a vision of Anne French cleansing milk. You know, it's not something I use myself. But, um, and I kept getting it, and I put it aside all the time, you know, thinking, I can't give out a vision of Anne French cleansing milk. And so we continued and so on, and... This person, is this person here tonight? The person I had forgotten who it was. It was someone in the fellowship. And finally I said, look, I've got to tell you, thinking she's going to say, well, so what? So, so you use Anne French cleansing? Well, okay. I said, I keep getting this vision of Anne French cleansing milk. The lady burst into tears. She started howling at the top of her voice. She said, that's it, that's it, that's it. And I said, it's what? And she, and apparently what had happened was she'd broken her mother's and French cleansing milk as a girl, and she'd been severely disciplined and put in a cupboard for six hours or something by her mother, and that had been the beginning of her problems and so on, you see. You've got at times to be willing to move out on something like that, even though it doesn't particularly make mistakes. Oh, there is someone in the fellowship here too, who once came to me and said, Roger, I've got a major problem. He said, and my problem is that I keep trying to throw myself through the window in my sleep, you know. And he said, and it's, uh, it can't go on like this. 
It happened so many times. He said, anyway, the Lord's told me what the root of the problem is, and I'm going to ask you to pray about it, and then when you get it, you can minister to me. I hate being put in the spot like that. I hate it. And I said, you sure? Yes, he said, that's right. And so we sat there, and we've just prayed, and I said, well, all I get is a vision of a table and a broken window. That's it, he said. Table and a broken window, what's that? And it turned out what had happened was this. He was a boy during the war, living in the east end of London, and uh, what had occurred was his parents had gone out there had been a raid. The windows had blown out. All the lights had gone out. He'd hidden under a table, scared out of his wits. A bomb had gone off. The windows had been sucked out. And uh, he finally jumped out of the window on the ground floor, jumped out the window to try and find his parents. And this had haunted him from that time on. Do you see, that, that's a lovely thing when you get something like that. But you've got to be willing to move out in the word of knowledge. And may I say, in our own meetings, we are ready as a fellowship now to have ministry regularly in every meeting. These things have to come. They take time to grow and develop. We're ready as a fellowship now to minister to all those who come to every meeting, to welcome them in, to then pray for them should they need to be prayed for. And certainly in our conference this weekend, I'm trusting that every person will go away healed, every person will go away blessed and touched by the Lord. And we're going to see much more of this occurring as a fellowship. All right, now they're the inspirational gifts. Let's go on to the last gifts, the power gifts. Can I just say, these are terribly, terribly popular. They really are. Why? Well, for a number of reasons. One, most people are in need, right? Unfortunately. And so most people want these gifts to be manifested. The other thing is that most Christians love to see God's power manifested. They love it. Unfortunately, there are dangers associated with this. And the dangers really concern the ministers who minister in these particular gifts. You see, the tragedy with Christians is that they tend to love God's acts more than they love God himself. I've said this before, I'm going to say it again, I find it so tragic that if I hold a healing meeting in a certain place, the place is crammed out. But if I talk about God or about Jesus, the place is only full. Do you know what I mean? And I find that greatly troubling in my spirit. I would rather hear about my Saviour, you know, and to hear about God himself, whom I love with all my heart, than even see his works. And funnily enough, the quickest way to see his works is to love him with all your heart. But most Christians are not like that. And often they put men on pedestals. The Lord is knocked off and the man's there, you see. And people travel for miles often just to hear a certain man ministering. And this is such a shame because it's the Lord who's the healer. The chap is just the channel, you know. The Lord's the chap that's done it. Prayer hasn't done it. So-and-so hasn't done it. The Lord's done it. Hallelujah. We've got to put God back on his pedestal. And this is why many people who move in the power gifts as their main ministry often have rather slightly unapproachable people. Have you ever noticed that or not? Not all of them, but many of them. They haven't got time to give you the time of day, really. You know, they're the great man of faith and power, and they vanish off the stage at the end of the meeting. You don't see them. They don't want to mix with the hoi polloi very often. And this is wrong, you see, because I do feel that a minister must have the love of Jesus for the people in his heart. And certainly I'm one of those ministers. I love going meeting the people when I go to a certain place. But very often also these ministers are put under a tremendous strain that they should never be under. And many of them actually find sin coming up in their lives. Do you know in America, just among the faith circle, 24 ministers have been disqualified by personal sin, major sin in their lives in the last year. I must say, I don't blame the men. Much of it is caused because people have put too much pressure on them. They've expected too much of these people, expecting fresh messages all the time, as if you can just churn it out, you know. And, and then they expect too much. And very often people have been disappointed when they've come to know the men. 
Because, you know, most ministers have clay feet. You'll find them sooner or later. And you mustn't trust man. You've got to trust the God in the man. That's the thing. God himself in the man, you see. All right, so the first one. Can I just tell you this, that in Corinthians, it's not the gift of healing. It's the gifts of healing. And the reason that it's called the gifts of healing is that there are many types of healing. Many, many types of healing. Uh, There are many types of conditions. And so God wants to heal them all. For example, there is emotional healing. There is such a thing as emotional healing. And praise God, we're beginning to see the ministry of emotional healing developing in our own fellowship. The bona fide gift. There is a fraudulent side to this, which is no use. But people who need emotional healing should be able to find emotional healing. Praise God. And we as a fellowship have got to make sure that we have the ministry for every type of person that comes. But there are people who have arthritis. There are people who have depression. There are people who have uh, kidney complaints and so on. God wants to heal them all. These are the gifts of healing. Normally, of course, the gifts of healing are manifested by the laying on of hands. And when you lay hands on someone, don't just think, oh, well, this is how we do it. We plonk hands on their heads. It's not that. The laying on of hands was always a means of identification. And you, who are, have a revelation of the work of Jesus and the healing power of Jesus, are identifying with this person who is sick. And you are actually saying, Lord, you are the great healer the one who sent health into the world, and we now identify your health with this sick person in Jesus' name. So you manifest the health of God in that particular person. Now, it's laying on of hands, certainly. Also, the anointing with oil. Can we just have a look at a passage in Mark 6? In Mark chapter 6, you have the anointing with oil. And verse 13, this is a verse not many people know is actually in the Bible. Talking about the disciples here, Mark 6, verse 12 and 13. And they went out and preached that men should repent, and they cast out many devils and anointed with oil many that were sick and healed them. And that's not the application of medicine. It's not. This is the anointing with oil. The normal way that that's manifested in the church is through the anointing of oil done by the elders of the church. And let's just see that very quickly in uh, James chapter 5. And we as a fellowship believe in the anointing with oil. We do. I think what we've got to do as a fellowship is make sure that at every meeting there are elders with oil so that if people need anointing with oil, they can come up afterwards and be anointed at the end of a meeting. We've got to do that. Once we get our own building, we'll certainly be doing that and there'll be ministry after every single meeting. Praise God. At first, when we started this, we had very little success. We've continued in faith, and we've seen God increasing the numbers who are healed through the anointing with oil. Would you raise your hands here if you've been healed through the anointing with oil? Now, isn't that wonderful, you know, just from this particular part? Praise God for it. I'm not satisfied with 50%. It's got to go up on that, but we're moving into it. You know, so many people think you can just jump into these things and get 100%. doesn't work like that, unfortunately, if only it did. We press into these things. Verse 14, is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer of faith shall save the sick. The Lord shall raise him up, and if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Now, that's lovely, isn't it? I believe in the anointing with oil. At one time, let me tell you this, a certain elder who had certain trouble, came to see my wife, you know, about this very minor condition. And it was lovely to see my wife's reaction. And he said, well, I've done this. He's in the meeting tonight. Uh, I've done this. I've tried that, you know, this certain thing. And I've tried this, and I've tried this, and this. And Ross said, no, have, have you tried that? Yes, tried that. And have you tried this? Yes. 
And then there was a little bit of silence. She said, have you been anointed with oil for this condition? No, he said. I think that probably is what you need, (laughs) which is rather lovely. Praise God. And may I say, it's important that you are anointed with oil. The rule that I have is this, that if you find yourself sick, one, pray for yourself, get your family to pray for you, get your friends to pray for you, okay? Certainly the church to pray for you, call the elders and anoint with oil. May I say this, that sometimes when you are prayed for, you will know that the work's done. You will know it. Now, you don't have to be prayed for again at that particular time. But don't be foolish about that. Some people say, oh, well, I've been prayed for, so I'm standing in it. But they haven't had a word of knowledge about this. They haven't heard from God about it. There is nothing wrong with seeking prayer, right? Keep praying. There's nothing wrong with that. One man wrote a book a little time ago that you should only pray once, he said. Don't ever pray more than once. It's unbelief if you do. Now, that's nonsense. The Bible's quite clear that that is right sometimes, but there are other occasions when it's right to continually keep praying. Pray like a hacking cough, as it says in the Greek. You see? (coughs) Keep praying, keep praying. Otherwise, it'd be ridiculous. Well, I'm not praying for this fellowship again. I prayed once. (laughs) Nonsense. Now, sometimes you pray and you know it's done. You just know it. Super. Well, that's wonderful. But there are other times when you've got to keep praying. Beware of making a doctrine out of something that's happened to you, right? Now, some people have been prayed for, you know, and then when they've been anointed with oil, they've been healed. Well, that's wonderful. Other people have instantly been healed, you know, the moment they were first prayed for. Well, the order, I think, is pray for yourself first. That's the important thing. Seek God for yourself immediately. By all means, then, call the elders in to anoint you with oil, and God will do it. I want to say one thing here and now. The gift of healing I have found is often a gradual gift, It's a miracle if it's instantaneous. Healing is a gradual gift. And so many people, you know, they've been prayed for, nothing's changed as far as they go, and they start moving out in unbelief, and then they find the whole thing's gone. No, it's ridiculous. Incidentally, occasionally we get someone who's been anointed with oil, and say 10 days after they were anointed with oil, they ring up and they're just chatting, and my wife says to them, oh, are you better? Yes, I'm better now, they say. And they say, I don't know why I wasn't here when I was anointed with oil, but I'm all right now. And sometimes Ros puts the phone down, she says, if she had known what she had, and if she'd known that she should have been in bed for 10 weeks, she'd be praising the Lord that she's up and perfectly healthy after 10 days. Now Ros is praising the Lord for healing. And this woman says, oh, God didn't heal me. Yes, he did heal you. Praise the Lord. You see, we often do this. And very often, God will start a process. I was over in Horsham quite recently, and I prayed for a man, and the Lord just gave me the word, and I said, you will be healed within three weeks. Three weeks. And he had five major conditions, a heart condition, kidney condition, three other major conditions. Nothing happened. Two and a half weeks, nothing. On the last day, he'd marked it in his calendar. He got out of bed and saw the ring on this day. And he said, well, if God said it, I'm believing it. This was three weeks after. He took his tablets as usual. He was on 18 tablets, I think it was. Took his tablets. He immediately was sick, vomited them all up. Tried it the next day, nothing, you know. Finally went into his doctor and said, look, I can't take my tablets. I'm sick every time I take them. Doctor, very concerned, sent him in to see the consultant. The consultant did the tests, called him back, said the tests haven't worked. They've all shown normality. (laughs) And we've got to take them again. And uh, he found this chap had been healed of all the five major conditions on that last day. Now, some people would have said, well, the day after, I'm still feeling sick. For some reason, God does healing gradually, sometimes. Well, praise the Lord for his gradual healing but remain in faith. That's the important thing. All right, so anointing with oil is one way. Often, by the way, a handkerchief being prayed over. Now, this is a sneaky way of getting people healed. 
Lovely. Someone doesn't believe in healing. Right, get the handkerchief, put it in their pillowcase. Nice, isn't it? They go to bed in unbelief and the prayer is working. Hallelujah. Where do you find that? Let's turn to it quickly. Acts chapter 19, verse 11 and 12. Do you know, if we as a fellowship ever did what other fellowships do and totted up the amount of healing, we'd be staggered. We are one of those fellowships where healing is almost commonplace. You know, it's true. And a few get to hear of it. Oh, yes, I've been healed of this condition. And we don't mention it beyond a certain circle. We'd be absolutely staggered. I don't know of a fellowship personally where there are more healings take place. I hear of ministers sometimes who claim, oh, all sorts of healings take place. But it's always in the sort of atmosphere where it was a one-night meeting. And they moved on. All these people claimed they were healed, but they weren't hanging around to see the next day, you see. But I know we as a fellowship have a large percentage. I'm still not satisfied. We've got to move in and move on in these things and be determined to do it. But I know the nitty-gritty has got to work out in the local fellowship. That's where it's got to come. It's all right speaking on this grandiose big meeting level, but it's in the nitty-gritty of everyday living this has got to start working. This is how we do it. All right, verse 11, God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul, so that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons, and the diseases departed from them, and these evil spirits went out of them. Lovely. And sometimes the word healing is the word for therapy. And God begins a therapy in someone and then heals them. Well, that's really wonderful. Many of us have known conditions like that. Incidentally, you know, my um, interpreter in Sweden, do you know, he was prayed for for his back condition and the back still looks wrong. He's, if it's x-rayed, the doctors look at him and say, you can't walk. He says, but I can walk. It's wonderful, isn't it? God has done the thing supernaturally. I, by the way, had trouble with a cartilage in one of my knees. I was mountain walking in the Lake District. Suddenly it went halfway down Helvellyn. Oh, agony in the knee. And God said, I will heal that knee. And within a week, it was gone. And do you know now, should I get out of fellowship, I get problems in my knee. I'm, I'm perfectly free of pain, absolutely free of pain. Then suddenly I get out of fellowship and I kneel down, ah, agony. And I say, sorry, Lord. And it's gone immediately. Well, isn't that a wonderful thing? Praise God. And of course, 99.99% of the time, I'm in perfect freedom from that. <laughs> Praise the Lord. But many of us have that type of condition. Isn't it amazing? And things that don't trouble us at all. You know, and perhaps if we were looked at by a doctor, a doctor would say, that's not here. Yeah, you know it is. You're getting no pain whatsoever from the particular thing. Are there people here who can testify to that thing? Put your hands up if there are. Isn't it wonderful? Praise God. And that's God saying, look, you're not going to be healed, you know, by the condition. You're going to be healed by the healer. And I who heal you will sustain you. That's what God is, is saying. And sometimes we need discernment as well. One woman came to me. She'd been prayed for by so many people and she was still sick. You know, she felt like on the undertaker. Just give up. And the Lord just said to me, have you asked the elders of your church to anoint you with oil? Well, I go to an Anglican church. They don't do it in our church. And I said, they will do it if you ask them. And she was anointed with oil. She was totally healed of the condition. Now, we have to do that type of thing, and we must uh, be open to that. That's miracles. The last one is faith. Now, every one of us has a certain measure of faith. It differs from person to person, and you mustn't get uppity about this. You know, well, I've got more faith than them. But what happens is, for a specific need, God gives you an extra injection of faith, right? You may not maintain that level of faith, but suddenly you just know, well, of course it's going to happen. In fact, sometimes you're surprised by yourself. Did, that, did I say that? And suddenly, there it is. <clears throat> and specifically, it's an occasion when God has to change the laws of nature. 
to achieve something. I mean, for example, like raising the dead. That does need an injection of faith, doesn't it? <laughs> yes. Do you remember the time in one of our Tuesday meetings, a certain woman who's not here now, but uh, she collapsed in one of the meetings. Do you remember she keeled over and collapsed? Was it into Byrne's lap? I think it was. And Byrne, being the person that she was, you know, she thought, oh, she just fainted. It was a bit hot in there. And she felt for her pulse. And there was no pulse. Do you, how many of you were at that meeting? Could you put your hands up? Wasn't that wonderful? Praise the Lord. And she, so, of course, what did she do? She called John France over. That's what I would do as well. <laughs> and uh, she said, John, this woman has just died. Or was there an effect? <laughs> oh, well, we were halfway through a chorus. Couldn't interrupt that. So I think John called one of the doctors over. Is that right? Or was it the other way around? Can't remember now. Anyway, the doctor came over and confirmed, yes, definitely. No, no pulse. Can't find a pulse, you see. So John let the chorus finish. Praise the Lord. Then thought he'd better step in. He just said, um, words to this effect, uh, our dear sister has fainted, putting it mildly. I think we should just pray for her, shall we? Let's all just stand. So we all stood. Most of us didn't know it had been communicated to me. She's dead. Uh, <laughs> let's just stand in the meeting. And uh, we just stood, and uh, we praised the Lord, and someone just prayed, Lord, just bless her in Jesus' name. Now, she was thoroughly blessed where she was, but Lord, just bless her, and so on. And what happened was, she came round, she said, oh, I am sorry, you know, I'm sorry, oh, sorry about that, and she just sat there, you know. And then, a couple of weeks later, she testified, didn't she? She'd been to the doctor, had loads of tests, they called her in again, and the doctor said to her, you've got a file this size, he said. And it's all gone. What happened? I don't know, she said. And then she said, oh, it might have been when I fainted in the meeting. And it was. God had healed her of those conditions. Isn't that wonderful, you see? Now, that was faith. Often, we as a fellowship find that our collective prayers are answered. Do you know the number of people who have been healed? A woman came up to me at a certain meeting I was at. She said, you're the man I want to see. And she had suffered from dreadful postnatal depression. Terrible, I mean, awful. She was in the mental hospital. She was in a terrible state. And she said, your fellowship stood up and prayed for me. The next day I was out. She said, I've had no trouble ever since. She was totally free of the whole thing. One chap we prayed for, do you remember being hit by an underground train? Do you remember that occasion? And he'd fallen off a platform or something like this. And an underground train had hit him. He was in a coma. We prayed the next morning. He rang up the chap who'd asked us to pray. He'd come out of his coma. Do you remember these things. These are wonderful things. And perhaps you don't hear the results of the prayer, but we could talk about these major things that have actually happened. You know, God is so good. Well, miracles then are amazing things like that. The laws of nature are changed. Corrie Ten Boom's bottle of vitamins. Do you remember she was in the uh, concentration camp? She had one little capsule of vitamins, and she gave every person in her particular block one drop of vitamins for six months out of this capsule. And it just went on and 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 on. Now that's a miracle. Jesus turning water into wine, that's a miracle. Isn't that wonderful? Have you ever heard Don Double's testimony about the time he was locked out of his car? Oh, I tried this so often. Lord. <laughs> right? Locked out of his car. And do you remember, they prayed, and he simply pulled on the door, and it opened. And when he looked, the thing was still locked. The lock had passed straight through the metal of the car, so that his door was still locked, and there he was, able to get in to that thing. Now, keep pressing through. If that's your problem, keep <laughs> pressing through into that particular problem, you see? These are wonderful things. Uh, incidentally, I'd known something like that. I was ministering to a student one time who was afraid she was going to be locked out of her particular college, because they always locked the gate at 11 o'clock. 
And I said, well, if it's of the Lord, the Lord will leave the gate open. And we ministered a group of us to her. And at 12 o'clock, we took her along. Sure enough, there was a lock on the gate. And I just touched the padlock and it sprung open. And we let her in and then I locked up for the night. You see? And that was wonderful. Quite recently, I uh, traveled for the nth time uh, without any petrol in my car. I think I testified, didn't I, of, in the fellowship. I'd been to take a, a funeral down in Chard, and it was my day off. I'd taken a rare day off, and this person had rung up saying, so-and-so's died, you're the only chap who can take his funeral. Would you come down? And I said, all right, and it cost me a lot. And afterwards, I'd been talking to people. You know how much they talk down there. And... Um, <laughs> because I was quite anything. And uh, finally, at half past 10 or quarter to 10 or something, I pulled out of Char thinking, well, I'll fill up in Dorchester. When I got to Dorchester, all the all-night garages had closed down and there was no petrol at all. And I rang Ros up. I said, what am I going to do? And she said, Rog, it costs you a lot to go down there. I'm sure the Lord will get you home. Sure he will. So I set off and drove for mile after mile after mile. I mean, my car, you know, is very accurate and it was right on the white under the red. And I drove a mile after mile without any petrol at all and finally went on the motorway and pulled in at the first service station and filled up with petrol. Went up to the chap, you know, and said, oh, I've just driven from Dorchester without any petrol. And he said, oh, you're lucky, aren't you? He said, and <laughs> so on. <clears throat> now, miracles will only occur where they're necessary. They're not for your whim and your fancy and your laziness and all the rest. But when you need them, God will be there. So let me uh, sum everything up that we've covered today by going to Mark and chapter 16. And let's just have a read of this because this will make a very important point for us as a fellowship and for you as individuals. Now this is vital. And I'm going to read verse 14 to the end. And I should tell you as you're finding this that Mark 16, 14 onwards is a doubtful passage, right? Some people say this should never be in Scripture. Why? It's too miraculous. They don't like it. I just don't believe it for various reasons, but one of the reasons I don't believe it is this. I can't believe that a glorious gospel like Mark ends in verse 13. And this is how it ends. And they went and told it unto the residue, neither believe they them. And that's the end of this glorious gospel. I just don't believe it. Some people say, no, it's in verse 8 that it ends. Oh, is it? How does verse 8 end? Neither said they anything to any man, for they were afraid. I just can't see that the gospel is going to end on that type of note, you see. So I believe it's in. Now let's read it through and notice the word follow. Afterward, he, Jesus, appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat and upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. He said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. Verse 17. And these signs shall follow those that believe. They follow them. Now, notice this. The signs follow. Now, in order for them to follow, you've got to be moving on. Do you see that? And for the lazy, self-indulgent, out-of-fellowship Christian, don't expect any of these because you won't get any of them. You have to be moving for signs to follow. It's important to get this. You see, if, for example, I'm standing with someone next to me and I'm standing there for 10 minutes and then I look at them and say, you following me? They say, no, I'm standing by the side of you. You've got to be moving on if someone is following you. These signs do not accompany those who are standing still. They follow those who are moving on. They follow the fellowship that is moving on. You'll go through a time when God's training you and you may not see 
quite as many miracles. Right, then God's testing your heart to see whether you really love him with all your soul. Once you get through that, you'll see them again. Praise God. And they'll come. Someone will be with you during that time. They'll join you when the goodies come at the end. All right. All right for that. But we've got to know what we're doing. Now we're ready for the miracles. Praise God. As a fellowship. Oh yes. There's been great faithfulness in the midst of our particular fellowship. And God's continually blessed us because of that. We're seeing now the rain beginning to fall in a most wonderful way. And look what it says. Um, These signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they shall cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. If they shall drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. And this isn't just plain theology. Do you know the people of these days needed these signs? I mean, you know, everyone lived in walled cities. The people in the wilderness were the robbers and the thieves and the demoniacs. They were outside in the hills. Now imagine this, you've got to go and preach the gospel. You had to leave the security of the walled city and venture across the desert. Now what were you going to meet? You were going to meet certain people and certain obstacles. These signs were there to protect the people. And look what it says. First, they shall cast out devils in my name. Now a demoniac rushes up to them, right? Ah! What they going to do? I'm going home. (laughs) Of course not. They're going to do what Jesus did. Right? Just wait and say, right, in the name of Jesus, out. And the demoniacs set free. Very often, you know, they would actually end up with 40 converts by the time they reached the next city. They would, all the demoniacs would be free. They cast out devils in his name as they were traveling. Wonderful. Next, they shall speak with new tongues. Now they meet someone along the way who speaks Ugaritic. Didn't even, couldn't even pronounce it. Ugaritic. Now, what are you going to do? Will you preach the gospel to them? How many of you know the missionary, David Newington? Hands up. One, two, and I do. Oh, dear. What a shame. He tells a lovely story in South Africa. He was suddenly set upon by marauding tribesmen. So he got out of the car. They they were going to stop him. They were going to kill him. What would you do in circumstances like that? You'd start speaking in tongues, and so he did. And they collected in a circle, and they sat down, and he continued speaking with tongues. (laughs) Went on for half an hour. And they were all converted. Now, isn't that wonderful? That's what this is for. They shall speak with new tongues. Right. Next, they shall take up serpents. Now they're walking along in their sandals. They don't have clocks, vanguards, or anything like that. <clears throat> walking along, and suddenly a snake comes up. You know, what they can do? Call the ambulance. Get him out. I'm dying. They're God's ministers. What do they do? They take it off and say, naughty, and they throw it away. <laughs> Paul did it himself. You don't have to deal with things like this. God will protect you as you're moving out, you see. Next, if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. Now, they're thirsty. They come to a pool of water. What are they going to do? They see the dead cattle around or whatever, or dead pigs or whatever it is. What do you do? You dip your cup in, say, thank you, Lord. And they take a drink. I have to use this on the motorway frequently. (laughs) Right? And you go into the motorway cafe and... The thing's crawling sometimes. You just have Lord in Jesus' name, and so on. <laughs> Wonder- they shall lay hands on the sick, they shall recover. Here's someone who's sick on the way. Right, raise him up. He can join you and be used to convert the heathen. Well, this is a wonderful thing. These are not for idle curiosity. By the way, there are some churches in the southern states that are snake-handling churches, right? And you handle snakes. And they say, we have a visitor in our midst this morning, Brother Price, visiting us. And we have a lovely black member. <laughs> See how spiritual he is. You know? 
did you know that there are churches like that? Their numbers are dropping, but, uh, <laughs> but there are churches like that. Now look, these things are not for idle curiosity in this way. These are for people who are moving on. If you move on, these signs shall follow you. And let's just end in the last bit, verse 19. So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God, and they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following Amen. And that is something we can claim as a fellowship, that's something we can claim as individuals, that God will accompany the preaching of his word. Praise God. My wife actually was healed actually while listening to one of my tapes. Isn't that true, darling? Praise the Lord. Before we were married. That's it. Hallelujah. And God said, well, you know, if he's done you good, uh, that's it. (laughs) We now are going to pray for the sick. And I want to just end by saying this. I've been to so many meetings where the word of knowledge is used and most people go home disappointed because God hasn't pointed them out. I don't believe it's right. I believe the word of knowledge is a chariot for general healing. And I believe everyone who's sick in this place has a right to be prayed for. So what I'm going to do is this. I'm going to add, we're going to pray for general categories of people. Then I'm going to call certain people out. Now I will pray for the ones I call out. And then I want the others here who are ministers. Put your hands up if you're a minister here. Everyone's hand should actually have gone up at this point. I'm going to ask the ministers to go forth to lay hands on the sick. And as I pray for the person at the front, then every person's going to get prayed for. And if you haven't been called out by the end, stay behind because we will pray for you then. If you want anointing with oil, stay behind. What time do we have to be out of the hall? Midnight? No? Well, let's see how we can do it. Could we just sing together before we actually begin moving out? And the first condition I want to deal with is neck conditions generally. Right? Now, there are certain people here. We'll begin calling them out in just a moment. Can we just sing? What did we sing last time? Abba Father, wasn't it? Can we just sing that again? Abba Father, let me be. And let's all just stand where we are in this place. And we'll really pray for people. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Let me be yours and yours. I will forever be evermore your own. Never let my heart grow cold. more. Abba, Father, let me be yours and yours alone. May my
my heart grow cold. Never let me go.